Yep. Alright, we're back. Yeah, oh, I, I wanted to talk so badly, the music kicked in. And, uh, it's been a while. When was the last time we did this? Uh, last about time? a month ago. Oh my goodness, that's terrible. Uh, well, January is kind of gray gray for me. No. So this is, um, um, this is Matt. Hi, I'm Erin. And this is episode 30 of our sixth season. Are we still calling this our sixth yeah, season? Yeah, uh, It's the 12th of February, 2016, and it's the Soybean Pest Podcast. Yay! I, no, we, Just waiting for the confetti to drop. Yeah, Rip Taylor. <laughs> the, um, uh, so we're back. It's been a while. You've been busy. Where have you been? All Tell everybody why I, you haven't been around. I traveled about 3,000 miles last oh, month. Are you serious? Really? Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. Um, That's a lot. It was a crop advantage tour, and this year I was able to go to 11 other locations, including one in Moline, Illinois. Oh, yeah? How'd you like Moline? Quad Cities? They, they're they so thirsty for knowledge because they, you may know that they've been losing some of their extension support. At Illinois. Yeah. At the University and, of Illinois. And, yeah. and entomology is one aspect oh. that they just don't have wow. uh, leaders anymore yeah. and they're just my room was bursting really like, bringing really? more chairs bursting and that's usually not Never how it, that doesn't happen to me that happens to other people doesn't happen to me so that was great great for my esteem so do you take pictures pictures or didn't happen <laughs> no you should have done a selfie <laughs> I, I did do a selfie of my last day yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if i can post that on there did a um what were they thirsty for? Was there any? Well, I was talking about corn rootworm, and oh, yeah. it's like if we think we have a problem with corn rootworm, Illinois is another notch up. Oh, yeah. So because yeah. they've um, got rotation resistant. Yes, yes. Yeah. and so Western they've got state. another layer of complication to add to the problem. So poor guys. Yeah, so that's why it's hard when I'm out of the office. Yeah. Uh, Eleven days out of the month. So, but we're back. Anyway, back, and we're, we're going to try to do this weekly. I, sure. You made a face, but we're gonna we're gonna try. We I actually had somebody ask. So, are you guys done? What are you doing? It's just we've been busy. Bill, uh, this one's for you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, today we have a very special guest. So special. Um, Kurt Rosentrater. Doctor. Doctor Kurt Rosentrater, associate professor, Department of Ag and Biosystems Engineering. Kurt, the microphone only works if you talk into it. So you can <laughs> begin at any moment here. He's also, uh, uh, besides being a little shy, uh, the executive director of the Distillers Grain Technology Council. That's yeah. correct. And there he is. And just an awesome guy. Yeah. Yeah. So great. My first yeah. question is, how did you guys get connected? Oh, that's a uh, convoluted story. Um, it starts with you, and the topic we're gonna uh, we're, we're gonna talk about it at some point. Okay. So you sent me this paper. Uh, oh man, back in October, that came out in the journal Environmental Research Letters: Changes in Environmental Impacts of Major Crops in the U.S. Um, so you sent this to me. Yeah, and I, I can provide the link. There's free access to this journal. Sweet. Anybody can read it. So. And it uh, it's what's called a life cycle assessment study. And um, I know nothing about this, right? I'm, uh, it's a weird, it's a weird phrase that I'm also not familiar with. Yeah. So the beautiful thing about being at Iowa State University is we are blessed with resources of uh, people like Kurt. Yeah. And I, I asked a buddy, uh, John Tyndall, who's a economist. I said, "What? Can you explain to me a life cycle assessment?" And he said, "No." But Kurt is the oh. uh, 
the man okay. uh, here at Iowa State <laughs> when it comes to this analysis. Great. And well, that's what I've been told. <laughs> so do you know John? I have met him a couple of times. Oh, okay. You might want to bring the microphone a little bit closer. Yeah, you uh, want to capture every uh, breath. Every we, word. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, so you know John, and, and you do know life cycle assessment. I actually teach a class focused oh, wow. on life oh, yeah. cycle assessment Gold every line. autumn. So yeah. okay. if you'd like to uh, join us next uh, August, uh, feel free to come <laughs> sit in. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I say that. I mean, I, 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 I don't think you're joking. Uh, because I, I, I would, yeah, I would love to do that. The problem is time. Yeah. Jinx. Buy oh. me a couple. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. I, what kind of class is it? What do you, what do you, so tell us what the assessment is. Sure, and sure. So life cycle assessment is... Give me the... Give me the uh, I know, I ask you to talk and then I talk over you. Yeah, uh, give, good at that. give me the... Uh, <laughs> like the, the freshman high school? Yeah, version. summary, yeah. So it's a way to estimate what your net environmental impacts are. So uh, it's become a really popular buzzword for good and for bad over the last five to ten years. Uh, Who wants to do this? Who wants to know their environmental it, impact? It seems like everybody wants to do it now. <laughs> it seems like, to be... Like, like EPA? Like, well, like regulatory? Or? You know, there are a lot of organizations, companies, universities, projects um, who, for good or for ill, say we need to do a life cycle assessment. And sometimes they know what that means, and sometimes they just know that everybody else is doing it, we want to do one too. Okay. So uh, if you do it correctly, and there is debate on how do you do one correctly, there are different methodologies, different approaches, what you're trying to do is get into the ballpark in terms of what are our net environmental burdens. And Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say sometimes it's related to pollution, sometimes it's like this paper related to um, specifically focused on herbicides and pesticides, uh, but we see things like, um, let's say a company is trying to decide whether they do an expansion or not do an expansion. There are a lot of companies that, you know, expand their production, whether it's food or whether it's like a biofuel company, like uh, one of the local ethanol plants. Uh, these are types of <coughs> assessments that you can actually look at specific chemicals, specific flows. What is our environmental impact going to be? So maybe just to take a step back, you're the expert so much that you teach the class. How do you get... How do you, what's your background that you're, that you're trained to do these impacts? Well, it's a long and convoluted story. Uh, we got nothing but time. <laughs> We've got Same plenty time. of time. So, uh, so I started. I like this origin story. That's <laughs> yes. Uh, so actually I grew up in Iowa oh, on yeah. a corn soybean farm. Where, where in Iowa? Uh, Northwest Iowa. Okay. And uh, farming, staying on the farm was something very appealing to me, but it just wasn't meant to be. So came to Iowa State, had to figure out something to do, and took a while, finally settled on agricultural engineering and specifically on food engineering. So do you mean for your undergrad? Yep. Okay. And I liked it so much I stayed on for my master's and PhD. Okay. Who did so, you work with for your graduate degrees? Uh, Dwayne Bundy, who has since retired, and then Carl Byrne, who is actually still here on campus. So Awkward or good? <laughs> 
Good. Okay. Definitely good. Definitely Sometimes good. Sometimes when your mentor is like suddenly your peer, I don't know. Here, we'll mute the mics and you can tell us how you really feel. <laughs> That's a good point. We're not going to mute the mics. Actually, <laughs> funny story. Uh, so uh, I've spent about seven and a half years working for USDA after I finished my PhD. Uh, worked, in D.C.? Uh, in South Dakota, in fact. Okay. And was working on... Uh, waste products, byproducts, co-products from fuel ethanol. I started working in 2004, and this was before the industry really was taking off, and USDA at the time was saying, hey, we've got this up-and-coming biofuels revolution. we got to figure out what we're going to do with all the waste products. Yeah, okay. And so that is sort of the path that led me into, into the life cycle assessment because what I was working on was – can we do improved animal feeds? Can we expand into other species besides beef, cattle, swine, poultry? Can we do industrial things, industrial chemicals, uh, additional fermentations, some additional biofuels, bioplastics? We were looking at all sorts of different things. But then the question arose, okay, so if you have to do this extremely harsh chemical treatment, what is that? What's the net environmental benefit or burden? It's kind of like when you ask the question, okay, should you put CFLs in your... CFL. Compact fluorescent light bulb. All right, all right. Should you put that in your house or use a standard incandescent light bulb? Well, the energy efficiency is much better, but what do you do when they burn out? Because they contain mercury, you're not supposed to throw them in the garbage let alone the manufacturing process. So those are kind of questions that you can ask with, with life cycle assessment. So that's, that's what so got me into this area. Sounds like a cost-benefit analysis. Is that fair to say? It is, but from an environmental standpoint. Which is harder. It's not dollars. Right. Always. Right. Yeah. And so, so that's – I've been here at Iowa State for – little over five years now okay. and still doing some things with biofuels and distillers grains but doing other things as well uh, looking at um, industry um, for example uh, looking at the winemaking industry looking at cheese making looking at I still want to do a chocolate manufacturing but uh, you know looking at life cycle assessments for these different systems okay. so so beyond Iowa you're not limited right, to. right. Because this is a question that's being asked by lots of companies, by lots of governments. Um, you know, should we invest in biofuels or not? Should we, like this paper is talking about, you know, what's happening over time here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. in terms of agriculture and what are these mm -hmm. environmental flows? So you said you, you were teaching a class. Um, I, do you have a teaching research appointment? I do, teaching okay. research. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, so um, maybe we could break into this paper because yeah. um, it sounds like your uh, experiences, your um, your training is started in agriculture, but the skills you develop go beyond that. And it'd be interesting, As so this paper is on uh, crop production mm -hmm. in the U.S., mm -hmm. but it'd be kind of interesting, um, feel free to speculate here, compare the impacts from w this study compare that to the impacts from other production systems. Right, or right. Maybe not even just agricultural, but you know, right. uh, other manufacturing resource uh, use. I thought the very first sentence was a little bit weird. 
Agriculture is essential for feeding a majority <laughs> of the global population. <laughs> I mean, majority could be 51 percent. Basically, don't people all people like to eat? Yeah. You don't uh, don't read academic papers for the language, right? <laughs> I just you read it for the information because if, if this was if this was something you're reading to to keep you uh, awake at night. Uh, not gonna but if you're in, have insomnia, this can help. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I actually have had colleagues when I've talked about difficulty sleeping, like, best thing you can do, get out a manuscript. Oh, yep. Sleep. <laughs> yep. Sleep. <laughs> uh, but anyway, having said that, this was one that, uh, I don't know if I can say it kept me awake, but it did keep my interest. So the, and mm-hmm. my, my sense is that the facts here did not exceed my enthusiasm. I'm still kind of interested in this. So you start. So we, we gave the title and, and all. I, I th- tell me if I have this right, because you guys all read this. I, the main objective of the study is to understand the extent to which different environmental impacts might have changed over the last decade, 12 years, uh, and to identify major drivers behind such changes. And you, you said earlier that we're looking at the pesticide use I think they went a little bit further than that. They mm-hmm. also looked at mm-hmm. fertilizer and so nitrogen input, phosphate fertilizers, pesticides, mm-hmm. which included insecticides and herbicides, and then farm equipment. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming mm-hmm. that means the um, the what the fuel. Yeah, is that fuel use and so they had things like VOCs, um, CO. And then some acronyms I'm not familiar with. PM. This is oh, that's a particulate matter. Okay. No, it's it's interesting. Whenever you you read the life cycle literature, I always approach it with some skepticism. As a scientist, you have to do that. Prove it to me. <laughs> and it's very easy when you do a life cycle assessment to make things cloudy. So one of the important parts of the methodology is everything is clearly laid out for the peer reviewers, for the audience. You know, um, it's kind of like if you ask the question, how much does it cost you to own a car every year? Well, if you start to do your accounting, you know, the insurance, the oil changes, tire rotations, but if you forget about the gasoline that you use, mm-hmm. you could be way off. Mm-hmm. And so, um, or vice versa, if you only account for the gasoline, but you don't account for maintenance or oil changes, you're still going to be off. Yeah. So how does anyone know that any published study, especially a life cycle assessment study, is valid or not? And if you'll notice, there is... Um, the link to this article, there is a link to supplementary information. Yes. Which I pulled that up and I was reading through that. And, you know, they, they do list a lot of things. But I was looking, for example, I was looking at their supplemental information about their, their fuel use. They talk about tractors. Mm-hmm. But uh, then the question is, okay, they have gasoline tractors, they have... Uh, diesel tractor, but they 
don't talk about are they actually accounting for all the different field operations, rotation or not rotation, nothing about combines. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I th when you start to dig into the supplementary information and say, well, did they account for this, that, and the other thing, it's always good to, to dig into that because you could read the paper and say, oh, yeah, this, this looks great. But, well, what if this was forgotten or that was forgotten? That's why you're so. here. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> Me, I thought, okay, it looks like a lot of different things that they're looking at. Um, but I wasn't sure if it was accurate or not. Well, and that's the thing. If you, know, it, if you want to do one of these right, it's going to take a long time to amalgamate the data mm -hmm. and then do the calculations. And, yes, they list a lot of information in their, their supplementary materials, but uh, they don't list everything. And that's the challenge, because to build this model takes a lot of, of computing. Mm -hmm. Generally, Excel, but there are also other things that can be used. Um, you know, so, how do we know that they've accounted for everything? I don't know. Yeah. So to paraphrase kind of what I'm hearing you say is um, if you're going to do the, so a life cycle assessment, the life cycle here is from start to finish the creation of the product. And in this study, it's the creation of corn, cotton, soybean, and wheat. And they attempted to account for the inputs that go into you know, planting, the planting the crop, maintaining it and then harvesting it. Um, and then from there, after they have those sort of inputs and how much goes into that, uh, they then, um, so I'm imagining a spreadsheet, uh, mm -hmm. they then say, okay, what are the possible impacts that those inputs could have? Mm -hmm. And they, they sort of categorize it by you know, things like acidification, Water, ground, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. air, eutrophication, smog formation, human health impacts, freshwater ecotoxicity, human health related to cancer and non-cancer effects. So they've got these sort of like equations for all of the inputs that they've accounted for in this spreadsheet, and they say, okay, have those, do those inputs now have some what value right. related to these? impacts right well and it's and, and what does eutrophication mean and what does acidification mean there actually are standards for doing a life cycle assessment and they talk about the databases that they use the, the tracy database which was developed by uh, the federal government there are actual definitions you know the, the human cancer non-cancer so they're not making that stuff they're up. no they're just they're using these sort of pre Defined right, yeah. right. So but but what they in the discipline. but yeah. what do they mean? That's if a, a average person were to read the article, they what the heck's that? Yeah. So um, my so I'm an average person, um, and my sort of take home from this was um, so they measure things on. My take home is that things have kind of stayed the same for most crops in terms in in from. They're starting point around 2000 mm -hmm. to 2010 to 2012, depending on the crop. Uh, because that's another thing is they really only have about what three time points. Yeah. They've got yeah around 2000, 
around 2003, 2005, and then the last time point, which varied for crop from right. 2007 to 2012. So, so they've got. So imagine <laughs> this makes great radio or, <laughs> or podcasting. Imagine a line <laughs> made up of three points uh, for most of the crop: corn, cotton. I'm looking at Figure One here: corn, cotton, and wheat. It's a flat line or some small increase, except for soybeans. And uh, for the line that represents what they, I think they call it the freshwater ecotoxicity, mm -hmm. that goes up. And it's pretty clear the increase, right? right. Compared to everything else. Right. So I don't, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, because this has been peer reviewed, that they did this in a way that. Somebody like you would say, "Yeah, it's legitimate." I mean, plus or minus, um, maybe. But how do you know? You know, when they they talk about the the chemicals that are are used during the growing I, season. I, I tell you what, before, before, <coughs> yeah. we, before we okay sort of tear apart their analysis, um, I, I just make I'm, I'm, again for people at home. Uh, I'm looking at Figure One, and there's. The, the figure just for soybeans. And all the other lines for these impacts mm -hmm. are, are more or less flat. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Except for that one line for what's called freshwater ecotoxicity, mm -hmm. that's increasing from 2002 to 2012, so a decade there. What, yeah. what, how, how do you interpret that? What does that, what does that mean? If you take it on face value, it sounds or looks like, oh, this is really a problem because we're putting much more chemicals into our water systems. So, so that, so the interpretation of that would be, in that decade period, more, uh, more inputs are coming out of soybean fields, and we would, we would expect there to be more of those in the fresh water that, what accumulates after passing through a, a soybean field. Based on the assumptions they used right. in their model development. Okay. So maybe yes, it's really happening, maybe it's not. Maybe their assumptions weren't so, on base. So where are the, where's the, what are the assumptions and, and what's sort of the, the caveats to that interpretation? So looking through their materials and methods, they're talking about direct environmental releases. Um, <coughs> So they, on page three, are talking about um, their database assumes that all pesticides are released to the soil. That's one database, the EcoInvent database. Another database um, considers uh, the chemicals as part of the technosphere and they're released from the soil as pollution. So. Um, there's another database that they use where they try to divide it up between air, soil, and water. So, but they didn't really define that in their supplementary materials. So, so they, it's, it's so they say they adopted the third approach. Right. Of pesticides are released to multiple components. Right. Air, soil, and water. So the um, and they use pesticides' vapor pressure to approximate its air emissions. Assumed as an inert factor. 0.5% of the total applied pesticide was lost to the water. Hmm. Now, how close is that to reality? I, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's close or 
maybe it depends on growing season, the climate and the environment and rainfall and, and all that. Yeah, so um, so this is where, this is, this is helpful because um, by stating the assumptions, you could say, well, maybe they're off. Maybe it's higher than that, maybe it's lower than that. But that factor is, is a constant, right? Right. What isn't a constant because there's this increase, what isn't a constant is something else. Right. And that something else is how much of these pesticides are being used. Right, which apparently they gathered that information from a USDA database. So, or survey. It was a USDA survey, but it sounds like it is an incomplete survey. Yeah, this is interesting because um, my... My understanding is that um, back years ago, going back 1990s, late 90s, um, and then back further into history, this was a yearly survey or maybe biannual survey. Now it's become much less frequent that USDA estimates how much pesticide is used for major crops. Um, and I, if I remember, I, part of that was budget issues. Um, there was a recession, um, Clinton administration cutting big, you know, big government, all, you know. Um, so they reduced the amount of time that they would survey this. I don't quite know how that survey was done, but there's citations there to, right. to go find right. that. Um, right. But the, so this is, this is partly why they only have three points on their lines, right? Because yeah. there's not right. these. Right. But they're still seeing this, this increase. So, um, that, so the increase they show is on that figure that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. The y-axis is, it's not number of insecticide or pesticide sprays, it's not active ingredient per land area per acre, it's right. impact per hectare. Yeah. What does that mean? Is that typical in a LCA? So instead of saying, oh, we saw this increase mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the amount of something being used, they say they don't say in that terms, they say in terms of impact. Right. You know, there, there are lots of different ways to look at the question, I think. You could look at total quantity used. Um, the, I think the interesting challenge is every year our acreages are different and in terms of, of crop use and land use. And so by putting it in terms of acre or, or hectare, the metric um, version of, of area, what they're trying to do is standardize and say, so if we have this quantity that's right. increasing every year, then we have this land area that's changing every year. So, so regardless yep. of how much soybean we grew in 2002 yeah. versus 2012, this, right. this increased. Right. right? But but it's not it's not what, what they're not saying is the amount of pesticide no necessarily no they're not impact right and so that impact what they call the freshwater ecotoxicity so there is in their database that um, the Tracy database uh, they've got all of these different categories uh, and. This database was built based on scientific literature. What does ecotoxicity mean? There are 
certain chemicals that are tracked. And basically, you take your total quantity, your total mass of whatever it is you're looking at. Of the chemicals. Of the chemicals. Yeah. And multiply it by this conversion factor to get a ecotoxicity okay. level. And so, you know, the higher, the, the worse it is. The lower, the better. But uh, so what it is, there are multiple bins that the ecotoxicity, and I don't have the spreadsheet with me right now. Sure. But, uh, but, but, but just sort of capturing this impact. Yeah. So, so it's, it sounds like, tell me if I have this right, it sounds like you're combining both how much of something is being used mm -hmm. and its estimated impact. Correct. So over time, say this 10-year period, you could say, well, yeah, more pesticide is being used. Or it could be that we've switched from one type of pesticide that didn't have a lot of impact mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to a pesticide that has a greater impact. So the amount of pesticide right. may stay the same, but because right. the different type is being used, mm -hmm. now the mm -hmm. impact is different. Right. And when it gets into these, you know, the, the reason I was talking about what are the details? Based on the, the chemical composition of each of those herbicides, pesticides, fertilizers, there are just certain segments of that chemical composition that are actually important for the toxicity or the carcinogenicity. So you have to know how much and of a certain molecule. Carcinogenicity, the human health cancer. Yeah, HHC. That's stayed flat. Yeah. Fair, yeah. Fair. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so, so there's this, so, so where we are in this discussion is impact is, there, the authors are suggesting that impact has increased. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a function of the chemicals being used because the chemicals, you know, depending upon which pesticide you use, the impact could be greater or less, and the amount. Right. Mm -hmm. I think they said the total quantity of insecticides applied to soybean quadrupled between 2002 and 2012. So we go to figure three, mm -hmm. and this is where they show this this use over time. So now mm -hmm. the, um, uh, they talk about this as they show a graph of the same time period, but now the the axis is comparative toxic units. Is that a common? unit in LCA? No. no. <laughs> I, this is the first time I've seen it, but it's, I think it's a way that they're trying to standardize um, their toxicity. Yeah, and they say in the figure, this is a measure of the potential affected fraction of species integrated over time and volume per unit mass of chemical emitted. So again, it sounds like they're, they're combining both impact yeah. and amount used. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. But integrated over time adds another level of obfuscation, I what, think. What do you mean by that? What does that mean? <laughs> you tell me! <laughs> that's why we brought you in. So uh, that's, you could do some very interesting things with LCA. That's why the fundamental premise is you make everything transparent. So that if somebody asks the question, what does this mean integrated over time per unit mass? What does that mean? And here they're not really defining that. So, so. do you think it's, it's a fair graphic that they're, they're showing here? I suspect Based they're, on what you know? they're trying to standardize, yeah. but um, 
Good question. Because they're on different scales, which is a little bit hard yeah. maybe to compare, yeah. like corn and soybean. Right. I think there, it looks like there's more soybean, but... It would have been helpful had they just had total quantity. Yeah, so this is... That would be helpful. Yeah, so um, from my... Uh, in my world, uh, when I... When we, when other entomologists, we get around and we talk about, well, has pesticide use changed over time? Um, outside of USDA, there, we don't have access to data to, uh, to show this. And in part, it's because although companies that sell pesticides know how much they sell and where, uh, they, and I think this is fair to say, it's, they'll, they'll say that that's proprietary information. Because mm -hmm. they they don't want their competitors knowing where and what they're selling. Right. In part because that gives some insight as to what pests <laughs> they're dealing with. Right. right? Uh, and uh, and who they're uh, who they're working with to sort of manage a problem. Um, so I, I I understand the you know the logic behind that. The challenge then is okay. So how do we track? Mm -hmm. the environmental impact of pesticide use over time if we don't know uh, how much is being used and, and where. So I think mm -hmm. these authors, I mean, they go into saying, well, we use this mm -hmm. National mm -hmm. Ag Statistics Service data, and um, I think they kind of did the best they could. Mm -hmm. um, and they've got, so again, bad podcasting. This figure that we're referring to has broken down the inputs for the different crops. So the last figure was the that we talked about was this uh, this line showing freshwater ecotoxicity, which was sort of all the things that go into farming soybeans producing that impact, that environmental impact. Now this figure we're looking at is showing, okay, how have the individual components, some of the individual insecticides, um, the other, they call other pesticides, I'm assuming, it's probably herbicides mostly, maybe fungicides in there as well. And then other inputs, I'm guessing that's fertilizer, whatever, um, how these individual components have changed over time. And this is where, okay, so this is where I think we needed you because my intuition, given you know how I understand the past decade, this makes sense to me mm -hmm. because they're showing this increase um, and this increase is not just use, it's also impact, um, but they're showing this increasing over time for things like chlorpyrifos, lambicyhalothrin, uh, and is that? Cyfluthrin. Cyfluthrin, yeah. These are ins insecticides that I think of as being commonly used in soybeans, especially in this part of the world for soybean aphids, which before 2000 wasn't mm -hmm. a problem, mm -hmm. and over that time period, it spread across the major soybean-growing regions of the United States, and mm -hmm. farmers have had to use pesticides, use these insecticides to mm -hmm. keep yield loss from occurring. So, it, so my intuition, my spidey sense says, oh yeah, this makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I'm interpreting that based on you know some uh, some of my own assumptions, independent right. of what the authors are bringing here. Right. So, having said all that. It, am I interpreting this figure right? That these these are not the authors of this are not entomologists. They're I, I'm assuming they're people like you. Is that fair to say? Maybe I don't know. They're from California, I believe. <laughs> but they, they did call out one insect. 
Yeah, I mean, out of all the yeah. systems that they looked at, they, yeah. they said it's because of soybean aphid. Mm-hmm. And soybean is why you see that impact quadruple, mm-hmm. or did the, the use quadruple? But, but again, they're not just measuring use, right? They're, they're measuring the toxicity. Use and yeah. impact yeah. kind of combined. Mm-hmm. Which, I, thank you for pointing that, because that's not, I, I wasn't aware of that when I first read this. I just went straight to, oh yeah, they just tracked greater use. But. Right. Yeah, because I also get the sense that the <coughs> formulations and the new insecticides that are coming out, the pounds per acre or however you want to measure it, the active ingredient is getting smaller and smaller, so people are putting out less pounds per acre than they used to, but I guess the chemicals that they do spray still have a relatively high environmental impact. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a so thought chlor- you So chlorpyrifos is a organophosphate. Yep. These are one of the more toxic to insect types of insecticides. We would consider it a broad spectrum, meaning it's not selective, it'll kill pretty much any insect it comes in contact yeah, it, it's with. also restricted use so it's has a high impact to humans can't right can't and, and, and mammals and other things so it also uh, some of the other assumptions that they brought in about human impacts would be very high mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what's your spidey sense your intuition when you see something like that are you it makes sense yeah it makes sense i you know, you've got some questions about just how big the impact is. Though. Yeah, that, my my biggest questions whenever I read a paper related to life cycle assessment, what did they include in the model? What did they not include? Because of either lack of data or they chose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like this was fairly comprehensive in terms of what they've included, but the assumptions that they make mm-hmm. is, you know, those are something else that you need to to really worry about. The way that they are allocating the flow of the pesticide in terms of air, soil, water, it's going to change. It's going to, we can't, it's going to be difficult to say, yes, this 0.5 works everywhere. It's going to fluctuate based on environmental conditions. But my intuition says, yeah, this makes sense. This, this seems to make sense in terms of, of quantity of use and also impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess uh, we've been kind of Debbie Downers because uh, we've been focused on soybean, which was the one that went up. The other three crops, <coughs> corn, cotton, and wheat, for environmental impacts, again, all the, assuming all the assumptions are correct, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, these look like they're all going down, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? I mean, in some ways... Um, yeah, so either they're going down or they're, or they're, they're leveling up, but they're not increasing nearly as much as what we're seeing in soybeans for at least this, uh, this impact of the increase mm-hmm. in insecticide use. And it's a little bit surprising to me when I look at the corn, uh, just because I'm a little bit more familiar with that compared to cotton or wheat. But it seems like people are using more products, more fungicides um, than they used to. I don't know if fungicides, I assume they're part of this, but it just seems like that's becoming more popular. Um, If you look at soil applied insecticides, seed treatments, other foliar products that go on. Metallochlor, that's a fungicide. Yeah, that's a fungicide, but for me, I, I see that as a pesticide that's 
increased just since my time here and since 2009. Well, I guess maybe it isn't included in there, but um, I was surprised because I thought more and more inputs would be put into corn um, compared to soybean. It seems like people are willing to invest to protect corn versus maybe other crops. So that, that was surprising to me. I, I would expect, like you said, just based on your intuition, I would expect this graph that we see for soybeans similar, maybe at a different intensity, but I would have expected more inputs in corn. Yeah, you know, nothing worse <laughs> on a podcast than just, just dead air, <laughs> just nods. nodding. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do find it interesting, at the very end of the paper, they do talk about the fact the results show decreasing ecotoxicity for especially corn and cotton. Okay. Uh, and they speculate, okay, they're really not trying to discuss genetically modified grains, even though that may be one of those variables right. that are driving this. Yeah. Uh, and they're very clear, they're saying they're not trying to assess the impacts of genetic modification and other unintended consequences of using. Right. But it maybe is a fundamental driver for... <clears throat> I mean, certainly I think, uh, what is it, the first, the corn borer trades came out in 1996. Corn rootworm trades came out in 2003. Oh, really? Um, yeah, oh. first one. So, I mean, so this that's huge. Oh, I forgot it was 2003. Yeah, so that's, that's right huge. in the middle of this. Yeah, so it's in between that, that data set. first and second time points. And so I, I know that contributes yeah. to a reduction in pesticide use, at least below ground. Yeah, um, and, and they're showing that for chlorpyrifos, yeah. which would be a soil insecticide, common mm -hmm. soil insecticide. That really declined in the yeah. corn area. I think of like furidan and a few other chemicals that they were using before corn rootworm VT. That they, it's it's banned now by the EPA, so you can't even use it because of some of the how it impacted birds and other animals. And so, um, yeah, I, I certainly think that plays a role. But then I've also seen, like I said, fungicides and other inputs seem to be increasing. But I'm I'm glad they at least addressed the GM crop aspect because that's contributing to reduction of pesticides. Guess how long we've been doing this? How long have we been talking so far? 40 minutes. You're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> goes by quickly, doesn't it? It goes yeah. by very fast. Now, I have to tell you, before we, we finish, yeah. if you look at figure five, I think this is quite an interesting figure. Okay. Because what they are looking at, ecotoxicity uh, per hectare of crop using different life cycle models, using oh. three different models. So this is going back to what yeah. you know, the Yeah. So in, in corn, for example, in cotton, there's a little bit of difference between the models. Mm -hmm. Not a lot, a little mm -hmm. bit. But if you look at soybean, there's considerable difference in the results yeah. from their model, the, I'm the different models. Okay, so, because one of the things, again, makes terrible podcasting, because we're looking at a figure. But, so one sort of take-home message from this could be, right, they didn't look at GMOs specifically, but... The trends that they're seeing in corn and cotton are consistent with GMOs helping farmers to grow with using less pesticide, less insecticide. Mm -hmm. And we see a leveling off or decline in these uh, environmental impacts. But one of the problems is, okay, while you're seeing that decline, you're seeing an increase in soybeans. And then you know, yeah. in a landscape like Iowa where you got corn and soybean grown together, you ask the question, okay, is what you lost made up for by what you gained. Yeah. And in yeah. this figure, um, 
early on, it's like, yeah, wow, we gained the environmental impact for the soybean aphid and, and is huge compared to what we gained in, in corn. Mm -hmm. But this is suggesting that, well, depending upon how you measure that impact, it may not be as great. Exactly. However, however, again, their, their axes are this impact factor. It's not... It's not a, it's hard for me to get my brain around the yeah. impact factor. But, yeah. but if you just you know, go with that, the decline for corn is like an, a, what, a half an impact factor, 0. 0.5. Mm -hmm. Whereas for soybean, even at the lowest estimate, it's an increase of 1.5. Mm -hmm. So yeah. assuming these are the same units and you can mm -hmm. combine them, looks like net corn soybean production, there was an increase Yes. Even with the lowest estimate. Yep, that's what it looks like. That's and with the high estimate, it looks really bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> from the soybean side. So for that Tracy, <laughs> Tracy model, um, that's where you see the, the biggest increase compared to the impact or CML models. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So it makes you wonder, what, why, why does soybean have such a big variation compared to corn and cotton? Um, GM or the kinetic BT traits likely play a role, but there must be other things um, coming in there too. I think it's partly due to how the database is built and what's included. Tracy's a fairly comprehensive da database, yeah. and that's the one that I'm familiar when with. When you say what's included, you mean the types of chemicals yes. that are the inputs? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because, I mean, there are some similarities, like cyclutherin is used in corn to some extent. It's increasingly used in soybeans. Um, but, you know, the, the herbicides that are used and the fungicides, those, are, those can be very different. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really, but again, it was the pesticide, or I'm sorry, the insecticide use that has changed most over time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe has a higher risk factor compared to herbicides or yeah. fungicides? For ecotoxicity? Yes, for the, eco mm -hmm. the things mm -hmm. that they're measuring. So mm -hmm. that, that makes more sense. So, again, we're, we're into the 45th minute. You've been very generous with your time. It's been a pleasure. Really? Yeah, you enjoy this? Uh, very much. Because, <laughs> you know, my sense is most scientists are introverts, and, but even the most introverted enjoy talking science. So Exactly. Yeah. You're the exception, Matt. What, in terms of extroversion? Extra, extra, uh, yeah, to some extent. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, you're right. People like to talk about their research and some of the things that they get excited about, so it's easier to talk about that. So. Well, thanks for coming in. Yeah. Thank, thank you for the That's invitation. Awesome. And if you've got, I mean, I don't know if this is the kind of thing that you, you're, oh, you're doing, but to kind of maybe wrap up, how does this compare to the work you've been doing? Like in, when you measure impacts, environmental mm -hmm. impacts? Mm -hmm. um, I do similar things. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about this paper is they do it over time. And that convolutes the story. So I found that really intriguing. So most of my work, I don't do time series impacts. Uh, most are, are fairly static in time. Okay. So this is really quite interesting. Hmm. Is this fairly novel? Yeah. Did yeah. It is. It is. They're trying to get at how things are evolving. And you know, it's only as good as the underlying data and the assumptions they use in their, their model. 
but I, I was really intrigued by this paper. So, yes, thank maybe you for the invitation. Po- maybe this podcast could take over one of your lectures. If you just push, <laughs> just push play and then walk away. Actually, give me the link. I, oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. It could be some bonus material for your class. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, no problem. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yep. You're going to you. post the link to the paper, Aaron, and it will, so yep. people can read this on their own time. Yep, and they can look at the All figures right. and stuff because that makes a lot more sense when you can see the labels and the captions and everything. So thank we'll probably share you that. Yeah, thank you very much. This yes. is great. Awesome. Thank you for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Yep. Bye.